As we're going through the book of James, we've kind of nutshelled this book as the book of gospel wisdom. The book of gospel wisdom. And our little tagline is, is that we want to be really living out our real faith in the real world, okay? We don't want to have this idea that, you know, we're some Christians and we're just kind of floating, you know, instead of walking uh, right here on dirt and grass. Uh, we deal with real issues, and Christ meets us at our real issues. God isn't just concerned about eternity, about heaven. He's also concerned about your right now. That's a beautiful thing. And that's what we've really been covering throughout most of this book. But here's a question for us that we never really fully asked. Why? Why do we live out our real faith in a real world? Why do we... we allow things to happen to us that aren't fun, okay? Why is it that we give things away that we really could be using for our own benefit? Why do we do what we do? And the answer that James wants to let us know and that we need to cling to is this. The reason why we live out our real faith in the real world is because we know that this world is not the end. We know that. We have that absolute assurance in the Word of God. So what I need to do at the beginning is paint a picture of what Christianity is not. What Christianity is not, so that if we're, if we're understanding the truth about Christianity, then actually we can live our lives for a goal that's bigger than this world and bigger than ourselves. So Christianity, listen, is not following a set of doctrines. It's following Christ. Christianity is not obeying a set of rules. It is entering into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ Himself. Christianity is not something that you earn or deserve. Christianity is something that is received by grace, which is undeserved favor. Christianity is not Living a moral life for the applause of men around you. Christianity is resting in the goodness of God who applied all of His goodness to everyone who believes. Christianity is not trusting in yourself to make it. But it is trusting in Jesus' finished work on your behalf. Christianity is believing in and living out the gospel truth that, number one, Jesus came to take our sin, our shame, our death, and our hell. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, we have the gospel in a nutshell. Christianity is living, is believing in and living out the gospel truth that Christ died For our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what we put our hope in. This is what we put our faith and our trust in. The fact that Jesus, the literal son of God. Okay, he cracked open earth. He came into it, wrapped himself up into flesh. Yes, he showed us how to live a good life. And he needed to live a good life. Because his good life needed to be the substitute for my bad life. And not only did he live a perfect life, he chose in and of himself 
to die the death that I deserved. When he went on that cross, six hours he was on that cross. The first three hours was him enduring the wrath of man. The spitting, the mocking, the horror and the torture of what man was doing and saying about Jesus. The last three hours, he was enduring the wrath of God. The wrath that I deserved when the skies went dark and all of my sin, all of your sin, all the sins of the world was placed upon him and he endured it. And the reason we know that he was victorious is two reasons. Number one, just before he died, he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. And number two, because of what happened three days later. We needed him to defeat death for us. And the resurrection proved that he defeated death. And that is our hope as believers. So we believe in, but also we live out the gospel truth. That guess what? He's coming again. He is coming again to take us home. John 14 verse 1 and 3 says this. Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, he's talking to his disciples and he says, Don't let your hearts, or let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. So that I go and prepare a place for you. So Jesus said he's going. He's taking on our sin, shame, death, and hell. He's paying that price. That's where he's going. And listen to what he says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will. That's a promise of God. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That is the hope of the believer in Christ. This is why we live out our real faith in the real world. Here's another question for us. Will living out the gospel truth, the reality in our lives, be easy? No. But here's something you need to answer. Will it be worth it? Will living for Jesus for the rest of the time that you have be worth it? Everything that we talked about in James. Now we're getting to the end here. Now we're getting to the motivation. So what I want to do with the time left is I want to talk about five ways on how we are to live out the rest of our days. Five ways that we are to live out the rest of our days. Number one, we need to live a life of patience. To which y'all are, ugh, anything but that, right? I mean, we are built... In 2019, we are built to be an impatient people. Think about it. We are. It's, it's in, our, in our new DNA, so to speak. We don't like it. We don't like that we have to wait 30 seconds for a microwave. We don't like the fact that we got to wait 12 seconds to download a song. We certainly don't like it that it takes about two, I think two minutes and 17 seconds for our McDonald's burger to be ready. We are frustrated about that. And you know what? McDonald's, they want to help you out. They're like, I understand. Who would dare want to wait a whole two minutes to, to get a full meal uh, plus a shake, right? Or, oh, sorry, Diet Coke. My bad. Uh, who wants to wait that long? So you know what McDonald's does? They give you two lanes, not just one. Two lanes to make it go so much faster. We are a very impatient people. 
Very impatient people. And yet God says that that's a virtue for the believer. To be a patient people. To live a life of patience. If you have your Bible, go to James chapter 5. This is where the bulk of our time is going to be. I will hop through some verses. Um, Verses will be on the screen. Feel free to take notes in the uh, bulletin. Um, But in James chapter 5 verse 7, listen to how he begins this segment. He says, be patient, therefore. Now the therefore is basically what we've covered from 1 through 5 already. Okay, therefore, after everything that we talked about, the good, the bad, the indifferent, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Here's what patience is. Patience is long-suffering. Doesn't that just sound like a fun word? Woo! I want to be that. You know, you've heard it said before, don't pray for patience, God will give it to you, or God will put circumstances in your way. You know what that is? That's American gospel there. That's American mindset. That, listen, we want it to be easy peasy. We want our life to be so smooth like butter that we don't want to have any problems. We want to live uh, this world to we're 115. We want to coast with no issues, no problems, no phone calls from the doctors. We want to just coast. And then whenever that time does have to come, we want to tell God we want to die in our sleep in the middle of a beautiful dream. And then to be able to be lifted up on clouds and then to be able to spend eternity with him And God's like, no, I want to change you. I want to change your mind. I want to change your activities. I want to change your attitudes. Because as of right now, me, Scott Scrimshire, I got a lot of work to do. I still think about me more than I think about Jesus. I still think about my creature comforts than people who are struggling one Saturday a month to come here for food pantry. I really think about me a whole lot. The only thing getting me into heaven is the grace of Jesus. Because if it was about works, I'm doomed. Patience is what he is calling us to do. But listen, he says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I love that because there's an end date. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But listen, patience is long suffering. We like short suffering. We don't even like suffering at all. But listen, here's here's the promise of God's word for us. If we live out the book of James, at least what he's teaching us, here's the promise. Your load is going to be heavy. I'm here to to tell you that today's message is going to be encouraging. But it can only be encouraging if you accept the truth about what the believer is going to deal with here on earth and why we should accept it. He says to be patient, to be patient, the load is going to be heavy and here's why. If you are a follower of Christ and you choose to honor Him by not only believing in the gospel, but living it out, here's what our life is going to look like. You are going to suffer trials, James chapter 1. You're going to suffer trials. It's going to create uh, maturity in your life. 
You're going to suffer persecution because of who you say you believe. You are going to suffer poverty. If you choose to follow Christ, guess what? There are going to be days that you're going to lack wisdom and understanding sometimes. You okay with that? How about this? Be patient. You will suffer for doing good for others. People are going to misunderstand your motives. You're going to hang out with people that your friends don't want you hanging out with. Just like they did Jesus. And because of that, you're going to lose friends for treating all people as equals. James chapter 2 says no partiality. Church, the gospel is bigger than our political The gospel is greater than your own personal preferences. Listen, our world is dealing with some rough stuff right now. My goal is not to stir the pot, okay? My goal, and I don't want political thing to be the, the, the tombstone of my life. I want my life to be that, man, as best I could, I gave you the gospel. There is something that is stopping the gospel today. Listen, it's happening on both sides. We can talk about 10 different things, but today, and because of this passage right here, we, as mostly white believers in Christ, we need to denounce white supremacy. We need to do it. And I know 10 of y'all or 15 of y'all can stand up and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The guy in Ohio did this or the guy in whatever did this. Let's not only focus on one shooter. It one shooter is all it takes. Okay? Listen, if we have racism in our blood, we are an antithesis of the gospel. Paul himself he condemned Peter, the great apostle, because of his racism. Listen, we can't determine who comes in and out of our building, okay? As long as we have an open door to everybody. It's in our DNA that I think the majority of us are going to be because we have families and friends. So the majority of our church is always going to kind of lean towards white people and that's okay. There's nothing to, to, be, to apologize about. But if we in any way think that we are superior to somebody else, we have lost our voice for the gospel. You're going to lose friends from that. We may even lose members for that. We will lose friends for treating all people as equals. If you choose to live the gospel, you're going to be taken advantage of for choosing to love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you are going to give days, weeks, months, and even years trying to disciple somebody, and one day they are going to be your Judas. That's the reality of living in this fallen world. Patience. Listen, you are going to lose jobs Because you choose to do the word instead of following the world. 
You're not just going to be a hearer. You're going to be a doer of the word. And it's going to get some of you fired. Because of patience, we will be without because we choose to give stuff away. Because of patience, we are going to be abused because we choose peace and humility over pride. We are going to be judged because we choose to bless with our tongue instead of curse. Church, from an earthly perspective, we will die because we choose Christ over the world. So what is the motivation for our patient living? What is the motivation? What is it that that causes us to wake up and say, Jesus, another day I get to serve you? Tell you what it's not. It's not to earn Christ. If the reason you do what you do is to somehow earn your salvation, you have missed the whole point of the gospel. You are not to earn. You are to only trust his earnings for you. What he did on the cross for you. So the motivation for our patient living is not to earn Christ, but it is waiting for the return of Christ. It is waiting for that day when he comes back. Now listen, we don't have a beautiful illustration about heaven, all right? In the Bible, we don't have some idea of some guy saying, I think this is what it's like. We got something much better. We have an apostle named John who actually saw it. If you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 21. This is why we are living patiently. Because what it said in Revelation 21 is a reality for the believer. Is a reality, is a real place that we really get to be a part of. If we are patient and we trust in Christ. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 through 5 says this. John says, then I saw. I didn't just create this idea or whatever. He said he saw it literally with his two eyes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Think about with this for a moment. He saw a new heaven. He saw a new earth. Now he knew what they were because guess what? The old heaven and the old earth, man, they got burned up. You can call it global warming if you want, okay? It was called the judgment of God, okay? And God took all the bad stuff of heaven, I mean, excuse me, of earth. He took it all away, which means the only thing left is the glory and the beauty of God making this a new earth, a beautiful earth. And so he says this, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And he says, and the sea was no more. Here's what I, here's what I personally believe as I look uh, at scripture. When he says the sea is no more, does that mean I can't go fishing, right? There's got to be fishing in heaven, right? Listen, I believe there's fishing in heaven. I do. I believe that there's fishing in heaven. Here's what I think he means by that. If you know the history of the disciples... Every one of the 12 disciples were martyred a brutal death, save one, and that was John himself. They tried to kill John. They tried to boil him in oil. They tried to do many ways to kill him. And for some weird reason, God said no, and he kept living. So the only thing they thought to do was was send him to a deserted island called Patmos. And while he was there, he wrote this book. And you know what his yearning was? 
His yearning was to see his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he could not. Why? There was something between them and him, and that was the sea. In heaven, there is nothing separating the believers from one another. Nothing at all. And he says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, here's, here's the beauty of heaven. Here's what makes everything else worth it. God is with us. It's not just the fact that you've got a nice mansion, a nice beautiful place, uh, the crystal sea, you've got the, the roads lined with gold. All those things are great and all. But I want Jesus. To all of those who have called in his name, they want person-to-person contact with Jesus, who is the light of heaven. There's no need for a son, uh, Revelation says. It's that Jesus is there. Jesus is what makes heaven wonderful. Guess what happens when we see Jesus? This is awesome. This is awesome. All the beauty of the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem is great. But when Jesus dwells with his people, look at what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen, the things that cause us to groan and moan here on earth are gone. That is the day I'm looking forward to. The day when I'm no longer struggling and weeping over my sin or the sin of others or the sins that could come upon my family or the sickness, or even the death. Because he says this, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Listen, there's no more funerals in heaven. No more. Everyone is alive forevermore. And he says, Neither shall there be mourning or crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All the things that we just listed, all the things that we struggle with as believers in Christ, the injustice, the ingratitude, the persecutions, the poverties, all the things that we struggle with, being deceived and deceiving, all those things gone in heaven, for the former things have passed away. And he who is Seated on the throne, Jesus Christ says, Behold, I am making all things new. That is why we are called to live with patience. Because there's coming a day when all wrongs will be made right. There will be a day when we will rest from the weariness that this world has brought into our lives. There is going to come a day when we will no longer hear judgment uh, backstabbing we'll no longer hear rejection but instead we'll hear the voice of our God saying well done good and faithful servant you deserve because of the mercy of God we are given heaven that is worth being patient for there's another reason another motivation for our living number two Here's how we live. We live not only a life of patience, but we also live a life of trust and obedience. Look at verse 7 again. 
James says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. There's that word again, patient, until the earth receives the early and the late rains. You also, so this is using a, an illustration of a farmer and how he waits for the fruit to come about. He says, you also be patient, establish, confirm, strengthen, fix your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's happening soon. So how are we to establish our hearts? How are we to prepare? How are we to live? He says, we establish by knowing this truth. He's coming back soon. Everything that we talked about, he says, is going to happen soon. He says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. To which we ask the question, well, how soon, right? James wrote this book 2,000 years ago. So how soon is it? Listen, here's the beautiful truth that we have. And we talked about this actually on Wednesday in the book of Joel. You see, in the Old Testament, they couldn't say this. The people in the Old Testament couldn't say, Jesus Christ is coming soon to restore all things. They couldn't because there were things that needed to take place before he would come again. For example, he needed to come the first time, right? You can't come again until you first come the first time, okay? So that had to happen. Then the next thing that had to happen, according to Joel, since we we went through Joel on Wednesday night, was that the Holy Spirit would have had to come. To come upon all flesh. Well, guess what? That happened on the day of Pentecost, didn't it? So here's what it means here. It's not talking about a timeline of saying in the next three or four minutes he may come or something like that. No. When he says he is coming soon or the time is at hand, here's what it means. There is nothing holding God back from coming. There is nothing on the calendar of future events that is stopping God from saying, well, I can't go now because of blank. Nothing is holding him back. Well, with one exception. With one exception. And that is his desire for the nations to be saved. The only thing stopping Jesus from coming back right now. Okay, right now. The only thing stopping him from coming back is his desire for someone else to get saved. And we know that from Peter himself, the apostle. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow or slack to fulfill his promise of coming again. Okay, He's not slow to fulfill this promise as some count slowness. He said, but God is patient towards us. So God is asking us to be patient He's also a patient God too. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. But is it possible? He's waiting on somebody in this room today. God is very patient. He's very patient. But he has already set a time to which he will come back and judge the world in righteousness, a time that we do not know. And he may be waiting for the invitation today. There could be somebody in here that God is, is pulling, the, uh, just tugging your heart, saying, I love you. I died for you. I want to save you. I have done everything 
to save you. You got to receive me. You got to receive me today, this very day, because I'm holding back the armies of God for this very moment. And then whatever you choose, yes or no, he comes. Is it possible that he's waiting for you today? But he will not wait forever. So Christians, how are we to live while waiting for Christ's return? Here's how we do it. Just like the patient farmer. We're not just twiddling our thumbs, are we? You know what a patient farmer does? He realizes this truth. I cannot make the seeds grow. I cannot produce fruit. But here's what I can do. I can till the ground. Okay? I can throw out seeds. Right? I can water. I can take care. I can cover when things need to be covered. I can open when things need to be opened. I can do that type of work. But I am patiently waiting for God to bring his reign and God to allow that plant to come alive. That's how you and I are to live. Living, working, trusting, and expecting. That is a faithful farmer. So how about us? We know that Christ is coming back. What are we doing? Are we tilling the ground? Are we loving the people around us? Are we throwing out seeds, telling them, man, I love you so much, I want to give you Jesus. Are you throwing out seeds? Are you watering them by praying, saying, God, before I talk to them about you, I need to talk to you about them. God, I want you to pierce their heart. I want Help me to love them in a greater way. God, they're stabbing my back, but God, I want to continue to pray because I know that if you work in and through their life, they have eternity just like I have if they put their faith and trust in you. Are you being a faithful farmer? Listen, being patient is long suffering. Realize the the road is long. The way is not easy. The road is rough, but the wait is worth it. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and following, Paul gives us the reason why we wait. He, he puts on the scales all the struggling, all the persevering that you and I are going to have to deal with on this earth, and then he puts the weight of glory of what heaven looks like to us, and the scales cannot hold the weight of the goodness and the glory of God. He says this in verse 18 and 19, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And in verse 25 he says, And we wait for it with patience. I'm going to ask some audience participation here, okay? If you are, I'm just going to throw a random number out here, okay? Uh, don't, don't get mad at me, you know, or you could if you want. But uh, my email is, is kmcdowell at... <laughs> no, no. If you are 40 years old and older, please stand up. If you're 40 years or older, please stand up. All right, everyone look around. See all the people who are 40 years and older. 
Some of y'all are embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed, man. Go 40. Yeah, I'm standing up too. I want to give you, please stay standing just for a moment. I want to give you some encouragement, okay? Because the, the promises and the truths we have here is that when Christ comes back, but some of us are going to experience the goodness and the glory of God before that in death. So I'm here to tell every one of you standing up, rejoice. You're over halfway done. I'm serious. I'm serious. Have a seat, have a seat. But, but I know that, that seemed funny or whatever, whatnot, but, but here's the truth of the matter. So you're welcome. Hey, I'm there too. I'm there too. And listen, that's not a promise. Those who didn't stand, today could be your day. All right? So let, so this brings some sobriety to this situation. Here's the fact of the matter. Those of you that stood and even those that didn't, you've been suffering, haven't you? You've been suffering on the weight of this world. And it's been hard and it's been heavy. But to those of you who stood up, listen to this. You're over halfway there. Don't give up now. I heard about a man who wanted to swim the English Channel. You may have heard about this years and years ago. Uh, no, it was a lady actually. And she went to swim. She was going to be a record holder at this time. She swam, she swam, but then it got really foggy that night. And she, she couldn't see you know, the end. They, they couldn't exactly pinpoint where she was. Uh, and so what they did was they just said, you got to keep going, you got to keep going. She, was, she lost sight of the finish line. It was dark and foggy. She couldn't handle it anymore. She said, I can't. I've got to go back. The next day they plotted where she was. She was well over halfway done. If she would have just kept on, she would have succeeded. She would have broken all these records. But listen to you. Listen here. It's been hard. It's been tough. It's worth it. Keep going. Be patient. Bear these burdens for the glory of God and for the good of others. I'm telling you by the authority of God's word, it's worth it. It's worth it, believer. Keep going. Keep going. Brings us to number three. Number three. Live a life of humility toward others. How do I live out the rest of my life here? How about this? You're going to love this one. Live a life of humility toward others. Look at James chapter 5 verse 9. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So it's the same motivation, the coming of Christ, right? But now, this is the way we live. We live a life of humility toward others. As we already talked about at the end of chapter 4, God, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what he's talking about for us to give humility towards is each other. It's towards each other. Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Life is tough enough with all the persecution, the trials, the temptations on the things outside this building, right? Is God saying I also have to put up with you? 
that's, That's what's happening here, right? God says, you've got to put up with me. We have got to put up with each other. No, no, no. More than that. More than that. When he says, do not grumble against each other, he's not talking about just keeping your mouth shut. He's not talking about not cursing one another. Instead, he's saying you need to speak something towards each other. And that's speak blessings. Why are we to humble ourselves towards one another? Listen, Jesus made it very clear in the book of John where he says, the world will know that you are mine because of your love towards one another. But there's another motivating factor that James gives us here. He says, because God is watching his kids. Imagine this scene, okay? You got a brother and a sister in a playroom playing, having a seemingly a good time until sister takes brother's Ken doll or, or uh, um, not Ken doll, come on, right? Uh, his uh, army guy doll, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you play with what you want. But anyways, uh, so it takes that, that army doll and of course brother gets mad and he gets her Barbie and knocks her over the head, right? Because that's, that's called brotherly love. Uh, and then you have a fight ensuing, okay? But in the midst of this fight, imagine dad, you know, being right there, seeing what's going on. And dad's contemplating. All right, how am I going to deal with this? This person started it. This person caused it to really go. So dad's going to, he's going to deal with some things. He's going to deal with both, isn't he? A good dad who sees the whole story is going to deal with both. Now he's going to deal with him in love because he's dad. But deal with them, he must. So listen, we're kids, we're in a playroom right now. How are we playing together? How are we playing together? Listen, when that time comes, when my dad, he's at the door, when that time comes, when that doorknob turns and opens, I want to be seen playing well with others. How about you? You hear the doorbell moving, rattling? What do you have against somebody in this room? Or what do you have against somebody who's not here because of your grumbling towards them? Dad's coming. Are you excited for him to open the door and run to him and say, Abba, Abba, Dad, Dad? Or will you be ashamed because of the way you treat his kids? He's coming. That's a beautiful thing for the believers. Not the time to be embarrassed. Live a life of humility. Why do we do it? Because dad's watching. Here's the question, how? God, I do have, a, I do have an opposition against somebody in this room. How do I deal with it? First Thessalonians, Paul talks about this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 and, and 14 and 15 says this. Paul says, we urge you brothers, admonish the idol. Okay? You need to speak the truth in love. You need to get up. You need to say, get up. Come on. 
You're wasting your life away doing things. You're being impatient in your life. Okay, you're causing your witness to go down. I love you enough that I want to I uh, insert myself into your life. I want to love you. I want to walk with you. I want to weep with you. I want to pray with you. You admonish the idol. He goes on to say this. Brothers, encourage the faint-hearted. Let them know that you're going to be there for them and be there for them. I have a friend, and I apologize this on live TV right now. Uh, uh, there's a guy that I'm uh, we're accountability partners. And this week he tried to get a hold of me twice, and I just got too busy. And I, I, I can't be like that. Okay? There's nothing more important in my life than relationships. Everything else is going to burn up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rot. It's going to corrode all these types of things. But the one thing that's going to last is relationships. And we need to be people of relationships. We encourage the faint-hearted. We help the weak. We be patient with them all. That's what the scripture says. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Live a life of humility towards others. Number four. Number four. We're wrapping up here. He says, live for the glory of God and the good of others. Never mind. We're going to spend a lot of time on this one. This is good. <laughs> live for the glory of God and for the good of others. Look at James 5, verse 10 and 11. James 5, 10 and 11 says this. As an example of suffering and patience. So now we, we, we don't just... We, we don't have illustrations in our lives. Now we know of people. We can read the stories about these people. Some of us live with these people or in proximity of them. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, which was dangerous for the prophets to do, by the way, but they patiently did it. He says, behold, we consider those, these prophets, blessed who remained steadfast. Here's a question for you. Did the people of God consider themselves blessed to have the prophet around them at the time? No, right? They wanted to kill him, right? But now, uh, a few years removed, I'm just talking like first century, okay? The people, the Jews in the first century, they admired people like Isaiah and Jeremiah who who were so mistreated by their brothers and sisters, It just took a few years for them to realize the error of their ways. And now they honor the prophets. Well, guess what? There are people that we know, like John Wycliffe, okay? John Huss. These are people who fought for the clarity of the gospel and for it to be given to normal people. Uh, John Wycliffe, he took the Bible and he made a printing press out of it so that people can read the Bible. Guess what happened to him? Do you think he got a big check from the government saying, thanks? No, he got burned on a stake. And now we, years later, look at those people and say, praise God for them. Listen, today... If you live for Jesus, the people around you are going to hate you. Even those who are sitting next to you now. Worth it. Or so the prophets did the exact same thing. If you read in Hebrews 11, you could see that those prophets dealt with some harsh realities to which God says in his word that the world was not worthy of them. That's how God sees a faithful man or woman. That's why he takes them home early, I believe. 
is because he's like, listen, you've suffered enough for the good of the gospel and for others. I'm taking you home. Now, the way they were taken home, some were sawn in two, some were burned at a stake, some were hanged, all these different reasons and ways, but God took them home. Do you think they regret one minute? No. They lived for the glory of God. Jesus Christ, in his own words, says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you, church, blessed are you, believers, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. All the things that you're doing for Jesus, he says, rejoice and be glad. Listen to this, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, here's where I think our problem is. Very similar to the unbeliever we talked about last week. We don't really focus on. We don't really live the reality that there is an eternity. If we did, we'd change. Let me give you an example. We have people right now who are dealing with something very similar to what I'm about to share. So this illustration is very applicable. Imagine going to the doctor and the doctor says, something doesn't look good. After some tests, here's what the doctor says to you. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Here's the good news. You have a form of cancer that I can give you 100% assurance that I can get it out. I can take care of it. I give you 100% assurance that I'll get it I'll get it taken care of. That is good news. He says, "But in order to get it out, you're going to spend the next 6 months living hell on earth." What do you do in that situation? You say, Sorry, Doc, it's not worth it. Six months, I'm 45 right now. Six months of that or die. Nah, that's okay, Doc. How much time do I have if I don't take it? You got six months. Okay. Um, Nah, appreciate it, Doc. No thanks. (laughs) Wrong. I'm going to say, give it to me now. Give it to me now. And every week I go in there to get the treatment. You know what? It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to be like hell on earth. But I see a goal, don't I? I have the promise from the doctor that in six months, I'm going to be cancer free. So you know what I do? I endure. Here's the plead of James for you. Here's the reality of the situation. Christian, if you choose to cross that line and to become a Christ follower, okay, if you really choose to be a Christian, life's not going to be easy for you. Let's just be honest. Life's not easy for the non-believer either, okay? They, They still deal with a lot of the same things that we do. But the difference is we have the hope of eternity. We have forgiveness of sins. We have something that the world really longs for. There's people around us that are longing for exactly what you have. They just don't know that you have it to give them. That's why we need to be patient. Be the farmer. 
planting, sowing, watering. Listen, you have got to make a decision today. Is it worth it? The writer of Hebrews absolutely thought it was. After he just talked about Hebrews chapter 11 with all the great prophets and and people of the Old Testament that were brutally uh, taken advantage of and murdered, he says that the world isn't worthy of it. Look at what he says in Hebrews 12, the next chapter. He says, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people that have proven it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. Keep running. I'm halfway there or more. Keep running the race that is set before us, looking not to your circumstances, not to your poverties, not to your trials, but he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Listen to what he did. He suffered, didn't he? As a matter of fact, he said, because I suffer, if you follow me, you're going to suffer as well. But listen to how he suffered. Listen to this. This is beautiful. He says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus took that endurance, and he was glad to suffer because he knew That the end result of his suffering was your salvation. The suffering that you and I experience here on earth. If you have received Christ, you have gotten everything you could want or need. We sang it. Jesus is enough. If you are suffering today, it's for the sake of others. Just like Jesus. For the sake of others. So that you can share the very news that you received. So he goes on and says this in Hebrews He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you, so that me, so that I, so that we may not grow weary or faint hearted. Folks, we live for the glory of God and for the good of others. It's worth it. Five and we're done. Make your words count. Make your words count. James 5, 12 says this, but above all, my brothers, do not swear. And he's not talking about cussing or anything like that, all right? Or cursing. Is that cussing a bad word to say? Cussing, cursing? Whatever. You get the point. Okay. Uh, he's not just talking about that. Although, you know, that's good. You don't want to do that. Why? Why would you offend without needing to be offensive, right? He's not talking about cursing. He's talking about invoking God in your promises. Look at what it says. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Ding, ding, ding. There's the key. A swear is an oath, but it's an oath that you're saying like things like, and I quote, I swear to God, this or whatever, whatnot. Okay. Uh, either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. What he's basically saying is this. Listen, above all, people are going to see your actions. They're going to see all these things. They're going to listen to your words. And you know what? Be who you say you are. Do what you say you're going to do. Be a person of integrity. That's what this world needs. That's what this world needs. If you're going to do something, just say, I'm going to do it. If you don't do it, you've lost credibility. That's why you say, no, this time, I, I swear I'll be there. You see that? 
because you've lost credibility. If you lose credibility in the little things, listen, if you lose credibility in the little things, they won't listen to you when you share big things. Your words matter. Be a person of integrity. Douglas Moo says this, Our truthfulness should be so consistent and dependable that we need no oath to support it. A simple yes or no should suffice. Our mere word should be as utterly trustworthy as a signed document, legally correct and complete. Listen, everything that I just shared with you, I get it. When we talk about suffering, we talk about persecution and stuff, here's what the American inside of us wants. I do good today, tomorrow I get to rest. That's what, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I do good this morning, I get to rest this afternoon. All right, that's what's built into our DNA. God says be patient. It's worth it. Let's fight this, this idea that we deserve things. We deserve God's goodness, which we don't. We receive it by faith. That we deserve our break today. The world tells us that we need. We need to trust God at his word. We need to trust that heaven is worth waiting for. And it's worth being patient for and persevering for. I close today with words of Paul the Apostle. One of the most powerful words in the scripture. And I say that about every word, I know, but... But let these words sink in. Some of you have heard these words many, many times. Listen to them as though they're the first time. Paul says, speaking to the day when everything has changed. This is how we're to live. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 through 58 says this. Paul says, behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. Is he speaking to the believer here? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, this is when Christ returns, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable And this mortal body must put on immortality. God's making us fit for heaven. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Listen to what he says next. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law that we break. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what was just said. The sting of death is sin. How many of us have sinned? Raise your hand. Okay? So according to that scripture, everyone who has sinned must experience death. And separation from God. Alright? Now how do we know we sinned? Because the law told us we did. Alright? So the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But here's where we have the grace. But thanks be to God. Who gives us victory. 
not death. He is the power who is over sin. And he paid it for us. For he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, this is for us today. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That is why James gave us hard truths. Because he knows there's going to come a day when all the scars, all the pain, all the suffering you have endured for the name of Jesus and for the good of those around you will be richly rewarded. Will you be patient? Pray, Father, thank you so much for your patience toward us. God, that you waited. You could have come back a thousand years ago, but you didn't because you wanted to save all the people right here in 2019. God, we are not promised that you'll be here this afternoon. We're not promised that you'll not come this afternoon. You could very well come in the next two minutes or less. But God, I plead, I beg God that you would do a mighty move in the lives of every person in this pew, Father God. God, solidify the faith of those who know and love you. God, help them to rejoice. Help them to to be excited, Lord, about the endurance, Lord, that they're going to, uh, to deal with for the sake of your name. But God, also, I pray that you would go through the pew, that your Holy Spirit would speak to those and be, help them to know with honesty, Lord, that they have not received you. And they cannot experience the joy that heaven and your presence will bring them for all eternity. They're going to suffer in this world, but God, there'll be suffering that's even uh, manifold greater in separation from you in hell. So God, please, Please help the reality of this situation to sink deep into the hearts and souls of everybody. Help us to rejoice. Help us to repent. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.